Yo, what's up, everybody? My name is Dave, and on the Writer Lifestyle Podcast, we're going to explore the strategies and tools that help writers and creatives live happier, richer, and more productive lives. We're here to prove that writing careers are more than hobbies and that making a good living isn't just possible, it's probable. We're going to do this through interviews, articles, tutorials, reviews, and more. So make sure you subscribe to join the Writerly Lifestyle community because you're not going to want to miss this. Welcome to part one of this two-part interview. Today, I'll be talking to David Metzger. David has worked as a pediatric oncology nurse at UCSF Children's Hospital for 12 years. The bravery, laughter, perseverance, and the many smiles of the children and their parents who he has worked with have inspired this project. Nurse Papa is a prescriptive and heartwarming book written from the perspective of a pediatric oncology nurse who is also a father. The meditations within are directed at parents and all people who are looking to ask and answer some of life's big questions. You will laugh, you will cry, and you will learn about yourself. In part one of this interview, we're going to be talking about finding balance in stories how to keep creating when no one seems to care or notice, and his publishing experience. Spoiler alert, it wasn't great. Let's get to the interview. First, I, I, I want to say I'm, I'm a parent of a, an almost two-year-old with another one on the way. Uh, so after reading your book, I feel like it only gets more hectic from here, right? Like this is the, this is like kind of the pinnacle and then it just gets worse. Oh yeah. The more, the more the kids you had, the crazier it gets. Um, it's not a, uh, it's not an equation that I think anybody has tabulated correctly. <laughs> right. Uh, everyone always says it's it's easier the second time around, right? Well, I, I just don't, I, after reading your book, especially, I feel like that's just not true. Yeah. Well, I feel like if you have like a farm or something and you need extra hands to pick weeds and like, you know, <laughs> tow the corn, that maybe having more kids is helpful. But um, yeah, they don't, they actually don't help with things <laughs> in a normal house. <laughs> <laughs> No, we're trying to like train my two-year-old to change diapers and it's just not going well. No, I bet that's just a shitty situation, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my my wife, my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law are all in healthcare. So I, I'd be oh, wow. in big trouble if I didn't first thank you for everything that you do. Uh, and then kind of ask you like these last year and a half, how, how's it been? What's your life like now? Is, did it get a lot worse, a little bit worse. Like what was your, what was your experience like? I mean, I'm in a different situation than most nurses. I do pediatric oncology, which is kind of a rarefied space. Um, and I feel like we are bolstered against a lot of the things that happened recently. First of all, I don't, until recently, we didn't take COVID patients because, mm. you know, the entirety of our floor is immunocompromised. So like we didn't want COVID anywhere close to us mm. and to our patients. Um, and besides that, you know, there was massive infection control that we had to deal with and change our um, the way we practice. Like, for instance, I go to the hospital and I'm wearing a mask the entire time there, which I mean, we're all wearing masks everywhere, like to Trader Joe's, to the market, to the park. But like, I just don't get a break. Like my mm. face is covered all the time. And I use like, you know, especially with kids, I use my facial expressions in so many ways to like alleviate stress and to like show that I'm a friend and to smile. I've learned how to smile with my eyes in 10 different ways, <laughs> just an unconscious way. So that's been hard, um, but not really in a way that affects me. I mean, I just, you know, nurses mm. show up, we do our job and we go home. The thing mm. that's really hard is I think it's for these parents because, you know, we used to have pretty unfettered access, you know, for our kids who are in the hospital for months and months, sometimes over a year. And now you can't have two parents at the bedside overnight. 
So you're, we're really limiting the way that kids are supported by their families. And that's the part that sucks. It just sucks bad. Yeah. I, I, you know, I obviously I, I read and reviewed um, your book and we're going to talk about that in a second, but I just, I found it so powerful in the way that you're able to pull these kind of like tender, vulnerable moments as a parent and pair them with these like really sometimes intense and sad moments within uh, like the hospital setting. Um, it was just like really moving. And I think as a, as a parent of a young child and soon to be <laughs> in a second, it just like, I think it hit me at the right time. And like, it just really changed the way I, and I think this is intentional. I, it would change the way I parent and, and the way I think about parenting even. Um, and so I, I really appreciate this book in, in a way that I think I might not have, you know, five, six years ago. Yeah. I mean, that's an incredible compliment. <laughs> You're, you know, the exact audience that I hope to reached in writing this book. Um, and in fact, I started writing this book probably at the same time where you are at right now. My mm -hmm. son was a couple months out and I had a super impactful moment with the patient that I'm sure that you read about. And it just felt like it was time to get those stories out and to mm -hmm. share them with people who just would never have the opportunity to, to see them. Because it's amazing the what I witness with these families and these kids. It's just true human drama. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's un unbelievable. And before we get, we get any further, why don't you, we'll, we'll just pause here and why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your book? Yeah. So my name is David. I'm a pediatric oncology nurse and my book is called Nurse Papa. And it basically, um, it describes the, just the crazy intersection of my life, taking care of sick kids in the hospital and trying to raise my own healthy kids at home. And, you know, I've discovered that there really is no barrier between these two worlds and you know they one in influences the other and i just can't get away from it and when i tried to i think that's when most of my emotional problems were you know at the head but when i really embraced that synergy between these two roles it really gave me lots of wisdom and lots of um just understanding of what these parents go through and how could i how i could apply you know the same lessons to my own life at home with my kids I'm curious about if there was like a moment or maybe it was just a, a series of moments that you saw this cross section of parenting and, and healthcare and like specifically what you do. Uh, is, is that something that kind of clicked all at once or is it something that you kind of came to over time? I mean, it definitely came to me over time. There was definitely a moment when I decided I had to write about it, but you know, I was a nurse for six years without being a parent. And then I was all of a sudden a parent and it didn't change everything in my practice. I still worked as a nurse and did the best I could, but I definitely could see I identified as a parent at that moment and I could interact with the kids and their parents in a completely different way. So there was this huge internal shift for me. I'm not sure if anybody else saw it or noticed it, but, um, you know, I definitely, I think I started to treat my patience the way I would treat my own kids, which for me is, you know, the way I really want to practice medicine because I want the parents to truly believe that I'm going to take care of their kids in the best possible way, just like I would my own kids. And I often, you know, when I enter the room for, to meet a new patient and their parents, it's not long before I'm talking about my own kids. I mean, not only because I'm incredibly fond of them and they are hilarious, but also I just want my I want that parent to know that I'm a dad and that I 
I understand how kids act. I'm not going to be impatient and I'm not going to um, treat them any differently. And I think it's, you know, it's a real calling card. And I think it's a real valuable thing for me, at least as a nurse. When I read the book, it, it was so interesting because it, it wasn't a parenting book in a sense that like, this is how to parent. It was really more of like these like meditations on, on life as a father and a, a pediatric oncology nurse. And it reminded me, I feel like to, to kind of like appreciate what I have at the same time, like that it's okay that I'm not perfect. <laughs> it really oh, yeah. felt like as a, as a father, I was like, I was like, oh, wow. Like this isn't a preachy, look how great I am. It's like a, wait, like just take the time to appreciate it and then know that you're going to mess up, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be okay. I think um, I'm very explicit in the introduction to the book that this is not a book about lessons and tips that you can use to, you know, get around in your daily life. But it is a book that can make you think more deeply about your position as a parent and to examine the parent you want to be. You know, it's funny, as I was writing the book and when it was completed, I would have these existential moments because I would just like have these horrible times at home with my kids where I felt like a, like a just a bad dad. And then I, and I would, would say to myself, gosh, I can't believe I'm writing a parenting book and I am such a <laughs> crappy father in this moment. And then I realized, oh, wait, my book is about how it's it's completely natural to be a crappy father. But <laughs> if you actually consider that in that moment, then you're actually not being that bad of a dad because you are trying to learn, you're trying to be better. And every moment of parenthood is just like a practice for the next day. I mean, you know how hard it can be and how you just have to like get up the next day and do it and be better. Yeah. How therapeutic was it in, in writing these stories and, and putting pen to paper on, on these types of uh, uh, meditations or these types of vignettes? There were some chapters that were more therapeutic than others. I mean, um, in writing the book, I went about it completely the wrong way. I, I know, you know, other more um, trained writers, especially nonfiction writers, will actually do something called an outline before they write a book. <laughs> I didn't do that at all. I was writing on my iPhone for months before I actually had wow. any idea what I was writing about, even years. And it took me a long time to find the structure of the book. So when I did, I would, um, you know, consciously try to fit some of the stories into the structure that I, I had created, these kind of meditations of parenthood. But um, so some of those stories they're not formulaic, but they are more thought out. But there are some chapters in which I really had to go through like this black hole of pain to write them mm -hmm. and really had to be honest with myself about, you know, mistakes I'd made and, you know, regrets I had about things I'd done as a nurse. So it was really a mixed bag of, um, of an experience. And I think, I think that's just how life is, right? You, you know, not everything is going to be a completely deep, you know, experience every time it happens, you just have to kind of find the meaning where it is. I was, that was kind of my next question, which is, do you, did you keep a journal or notebook? Did you just kind of dive back in? So it sounds like it was a little bit of a mix of, oh, yeah. of how you were able to come back to these stories. Yeah. I mean, part of it was I did, I would, I would find myself, you know, experiencing something in a patient's room. And when I was done being a nurse, I would go outside and write it down. So I felt almost like a kind of um, a top secret reporter in some ways, because I'm like reporting these people's <laughs> lives. But yeah, one thing that was really important to me for this book was to get viewpoints that were not my own, because I can't be anywhere and I have a very subjective view. So I made a real effort to interview people. You know, I talked to almost 40 of my colleagues, um, 
doctors, nurses, parents of, of kids who died, who I'd become really close to and whose experience I felt was very valuable, and even some patients who I'd taken care of. So they're, th they're all there throughout the book. You know, they pop up and they present their wisdom, they present their stories, and I try to do it in a very um, flowing narrative way in which you sometimes don't know that I wasn't even there. But, you know, for most of the, most of the stories, I, I did witness them. I want to pause here for just a moment because I think David said something really interesting. Even in nonfiction, he's using other people's perspectives to bolster his book. In doing this, he's getting angles he hadn't thought of before. Whether you write fiction or nonfiction, point of view and perspective is so important. Make sure you're taking the time to think about it. In the second part of this interview, we talk about the misconceptions I had about his book, how he structured his story, and I want you to listen to why he felt compelled to tell these stories, because there's a story inside all of us that wants to get out. Are there any misconceptions about your book that you hear, like anything that people think about it when they hear about it and, and anything you want to kind of address and, and clear up? Um, well, I don't know if enough people have read it yet for there to be too many misconceptions. Yeah. I think, I hope there will be. You know, I don't have any haters yet. And my, my wife tells me that that's when my, I know my book has really made a difference <laughs> is when I develop some haters. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping for the next hater. Maybe the hater is out there right now listening to this. <laughs> it's possible. Fingers Read the crossed, book, right? <laughs> Fingers crossed, haters. Come on. I need some, some, some validity here. There you go. Um, yeah. I, mean, I was just gonna say for me, I, I thought it was going to be sadder than it was and, uh -huh. and like don't get me wrong i mean it was devastating at points, <laughs> it, it was also like so redeeming and and funny and like had so much heart that like i found myself sad and then on the next page laughing about something that like your kids did or like something you know that happened at home and i, yeah. I feel like that was for me as i was like i'm going into it i was like oh man am i gonna like is this really gonna like weigh <laughs> on me or am I, and i feel like there was like that good balance yeah. And um, that was very intentional. Well, at least the funny part was because it was very clear early on that this was a very heavy book. I mean, we're just dealing with kids dying and like, look, that stuff happens all the time. Um, there's just horrible things in the world. And just because you don't get to hear about it or see it doesn't mean they don't happen. I love my job because I get to have a positive influence on kids and parents in a really shitty time. But, you know, when you write about it, it's it can be sad. So I, but what I really intended to do was to put the reader in the situation where they can have a kind of, have a bird's eye view of the situation and kind of gain, you know, the good parts of it without having to experience all the horrible parts. Mm. And it was still sad. So <laughs> I really tried to, to add in, you know, these, these breaks in between each two chapters called break from the heartbreak in which I just tell a funny story about home or the hospital things that just happen and just like really reveal this kind of hidden transcendence below, you know, underneath all the pain. Mm. So if, if maybe one or, or two or like kind of just a sense here, what, what is your hope for this book? Like, what do you hope people take away from it? Gosh, that's a really good question that I'm going to have to think about the answer to that. Um, <laughs> take I, <your> time. <laughs> I, th I think we, we talked about one of those things is that, you know, to be a parent is to be, you know, the embodiment of imperfection, um, you know, because there's so many parents in this book who are just going, going through it and they're finding their path by going through the pain. 
So I think that role is just, you know, it is what defines parenthood. And many people who don't have kids or have kids who have not presented themselves yet don't really understand that, you know, parenthood is just this crazy adventure and it is often not fun at all, but is, is often really fun. And it, you can't choose which parts that you get, you know, you have to, you have to do it all. You can't just jump off the carousel when you start to get nauseous, you're going to throw up when you're a parent, you're going to throw up literally and metaphorically all the time. So that is one thing. Um, and I just, you know, I really wanted people to have the opportunity to hear these stories because I feel like quite they, some of these stories quite literally die in the hospital rooms, you know, where these patient dies, where these patients pass away. And I felt that was a real injustice. I think that these stories are important. I think they're beautiful. Um, they may be sad often, but it doesn't mean that you can't get something out of it. So for those who have no experience in the medical profession, or who have no experience being a, a parent of a sick child or even of a, a well child, I wanted to kind of record these stories and have them there for people. Yeah, I think I, for somebody who said you weren't you weren't prepared for that <laughs> question, <laughs> you you nailed it. That was great. Awesome. <laughs> uh, so I, in in true uh, uh, nurse papa fashion, I'm going to go from weighty question to like maybe like a lighter question. Perfect. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about your publishing experience. So this was published through Gen Z, right? Yes. Yeah. And what was, what was that like? What was it like working with them? It, um, was not good. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, um, I, I'll be completely honest about my experience. Um, so they were the second publisher that I had worked with in getting this book out there. The first publisher was really a small publisher, meaning like a one person independent publisher. Oh, wow. And it was clear very early early on that they couldn't handle what I was, what I needed. Um, so that relationship quickly dissolved. And then I found this other publisher, Gen Z on the Twitter, um, and submitted my book and they liked it and they were interested in publishing it, but, um, the year long process, and I don't know how much I can blame COVID on this and how much I can just blame just incompetence, but they just were not prepared to help me in a way that was useful. Um, they were incompetent in almost every single way, <laughs> except mm. for the editing, which I really appreciated. Um, the book came to them almost fully realized, but I got some very meaningful um, help from them. And you know, their model is they have a few people who get paid and then they have a bunch of interns who they you know, use for you know, their skills and give them experience. So the people who they picked as editors were actually really conscientious and really helpful and communicative. Um, and, you know, I think they were mostly post-baccalaureate uh, mm-hmm. English students who just had fire in their bellies and were good at what they did. But every other aspect of this publishing experience has been dissatisfying and painful, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Is, is that common? <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like nonfiction especially is like a completely different animal from fiction. And um, I feel like nonfiction is really hard sometimes to publish in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think it's it's great to hear your feedback. And I, I think that um, there's a lot of people out there and I'm sure if you, you know, you're on Twitter, you hear all the time, like people just dissatisfied with uh, certain parts of like their their particular publisher or their agent or whatever it is. So um 
I mean, what if, what are you able to, like, what are you able to control on your end? I mean, are you able to like promote the book? Is that like yeah, where well, your efforts are? That's the other side because they were so incompetent and um, honestly didn't seem to care about what I was doing often. I pretty much get to call the shots. So mm. <laughs> I did my own cover, which was actually based off a drawing that my daughter did. Um, I would love some marketing support, but um, they don't provide any of that. So I do all my marketing support. I mean, this is this is what this is, <laughs> right? Right. You know, talking to people who who might want to read this book. Um, but yeah, I've become uh, an incompetent um, Instagram user, and you know, I started my own podcast to start marketing my book. So yeah, I mean, they've definitely forced me, forced my hand, and made me you know do all the work. But I think even in when you're working with a, a larger publisher that the marketing largely is, is done by, by the author. Maybe they, they offer more financial support um, and have better connections to get your book out there. But, um, you know, it's so hard to know what is normal because I think I had a very abnormal experience and it, part of that makes me sad because I don't know how many more books I have left in me. Mm. <laughs> and um, I don't know how many people are going to read this book. It's doing pretty well so far. And I've definitely had some fantastic feedback, but, um, you know, I, I do believe it is a book that deserved a publisher, but I don't even want to get into that part mm -hmm. of trying to get a real publisher and also trying to get an, an agent. Gosh, that, mm -hmm. that was a whole journey in itself. Just, um, uh, education and rejection. It felt like high school again. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask, I mean, did you, did you flirt at all with the agent route and then just thought what not for you? Um, so I, I didn't flirt. I dive directly in. <laughs> so I'll tell you one thing about myself. I don't mess around. I just do it. I, I contacted over 200 agents. Oh, wow. Um, and it wasn't just like these impersonal, you know, letterhead. I, I would address agents specifically in each, um, in each company and mm. you know the ones that should be interested in my book and honestly i did get some bites but ultimately the the two agents and the one independent publisher who read my book who seemed interested at the beginning i think they just couldn't they were too afraid of the subject they just weren't ready for mm. this kind of heaviness and if they were ready for it i was a nobody i didn't have a name i mean i didn't have any kind of um popularity Okay, I want to stop here again. I've heard this before about nonfiction, about how platform is one of the most, if not the most important aspects of publishing nonfiction. A few weeks ago, I talked to Amy Elizabeth Bishop, literary agent at DGMB, and she talked about what she looks for in nonfiction and how important platform is. I'll link that interview below because I think it's really important to compare what she's saying and what David's saying. In the rest of this interview, David and I talk a little bit about what to do to build a platform and how difficult it can be. Let's go back to the interview. Actually, I'm curious about your experiences in like podcasting and your website and like how you found those kind of side projects mm -hmm. and, and how they're influenced or how they've benefited your, your kind of like book writing and book selling process. It's hard to tell. Um, you know, the the book was such a long, drawn out process. And as I said before, I didn't have much support from my publisher. I've had mm -hmm. to do all the marketing, all the visibility for it. So um, I thought since I had some spare time, um, you know, just a job and two kids to raise and writing a book <laughs> that I would also start a podcast 
because, um, you know, it's been awesome. It's, it's basically writing, you know, um, each of my episodes mm. is, um, a narrative that I write. It's a reflection on a parenthood, um, which is basically the situation that I am in right now. So it's very close to home and I've, you know, much like the book, I can find the humor in the hard times and I can, um, you know, tell the stories of woe as well. And, you know, just doing the production for it, doing the sound effects, the music, it's just been so much fun. Um, it's been hard finding listeners in a way that I thought it would occur because, you know, there's just so much stuff out there that to get visibility for a podcast, you need to spend a lot of money. Um, as I'm sure, you know, I'm not sure how, you, how yours is going so far, but, um, it's been a slow process. Yeah. I, I really went in with that kind of knowledge, I think, knowing that it's going to be a slow process and that really it is. I think it is. It's a labor of love uh, for, for in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. It has to be anything that you, um, that you're going to work hard doing, you have to love doing it because mm. the world's not going to appreciate it as much as you do, mm. <laughs> unfortunately. So, yeah, I mean, they, if that's not true, I mean, nobody cares. Like, I mean, I think that's the one thing that I learned about in this whole process. Nobody cares. I mean, they just, they really like, you have to make them care, Yeah, but they don't inherently care, right? No, it's <laughs> like hard. We wish they did. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to give away free, good content. There's so mm -hmm. much crap out there that people just like, oh my God, it's another cat that's like laughing at a dog and the dog is jumping over an alligator. That's so hilarious. But like, if you really put out something that's thoughtful and that takes time for people to um, absorb, no, people don't have time for that. So yeah. um, this is just a warning to your listeners. Don't write a book. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So, but it's been, it's been good. I have, I, it has gotten me some visibility. Um, I do get, I do get some downloads now and it's been fun. And I have a sponsor that's coming up pretty soon. Um, nice. But yeah, it's not. It's a labor of love and it's going to continue yeah. past the book. Yeah. And I think, I think that's it too, is knowing or, or at least hoping that you're putting out good content in a lot of ways. I feel like it makes you feel better about it in, in a way that maybe, you know, sponsorship would be great and more listeners would be great, but at least, you know, you're, you're putting out quality stuff. I feel like makes a difference. Yeah, I sure as hell hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, we all want, let's be honest, we all want affirmation. We're, we're artists, we're writers. We want the world to appreciate what we have to put out there. Um, but it's a big world and people are really busy. So you can't wait around for the affirmation. You, like you said, you have to make them want it mm. or you have to be okay with what you're doing and just keep on doing it. Mm. In part two of this interview, David and I will be talking about how he managed to write a book while being a parent and holding down a nursing career. And he talks about how he writes with limited time. Be sure to check that out next week. If you have a minute, be sure to subscribe. It helps us reach more listeners and helps us grow the Writerly Lifestyle community.